Well, everyone, so good to see you this morning, uh, Facebook Live. Welcome to our Summit Church service. Glad you could join us this morning. Uh, just get yourself comfortable. We're going to have a wonderful time today. It wasn't the worship wonderful today. I tell you what, nothing like worshiping the Lord. Hey, a couple of quick updates on our new building as we're steadily coming along. I got some good news. The metal will be arriving. Our new beam and steel structure will be arriving on site tomorrow. And then Tuesday, the hope is that we'll be beginning the erection of the metal uh, steel upon the new uh, addition that kind of got um, damaged in the hurricane. So that's exciting. We've been continuing to do work on the other part of the building during all this time. We're grinding the floors down even now in the kids area, nursery, kids classes area. And uh, we'll be doing that continually even into the lobby. And uh, then we'll be staining the floors, staining the concrete. So that that's all kind of happening as far as the floors the next several weeks as well. So it's coming along. Continue to pray for us about that. And thank you for your giving towards the building project. Um, my goal, our goal, um, maybe, and I hate to put dates on anything, uh, but perhaps the end of February, uh, beginning of March, would be our dream come true. At least before Easter, right? or before the end of next year. Come on, <laughs> just play with you. Hey, so anyway, let's just jump into where I want to tell you today, uh, we're going to start a new Christmas series, as Patrick might have said earlier, and it's going to be a wonderful uh, series. We're going to we're going to talk about God being with us, God with us, and um, what that really means, that God came down and and of course, uh, inhabited himself with us. And uh, what we're going to do is something maybe a little bit different. But before I share with that, um, you know, Christmas time is an interesting time, isn't it? It's a, it's a for for many people, it's a beautiful time, warm memories and happy, joyful. Christmas carols and songs. We were just talking earlier tonight at one of our small groups uh, how how Christmas caroling is is a powerful thing. In fact, there's a couple in our church even today uh, simply there because uh, we caroled at their house and they'd never had anyone do that before and they wanted to come check us out. So anyway, Christmas has a lot of good memories for a lot of people. Uh, And then there's also some that perhaps Christmas is not a wonderful time. They don't identify it with something that is joyful. Uh, Perhaps it's a time in their life where they experience deep pain, perhaps a loss of a loved one or a divorce in the family or a parent um, left the home or loss of a job. And, And so perhaps for some, it is not a a good time. It's interesting, isn't it, how we all have different perspectives of everything. You can take a quarter. Isn't that interesting? You can take a quarter and you can show it to somebody and you ask somebody, what What do you see? And they say, well, I see a head, you know, uh, uh, George Washington. I see, a, 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 you know, the head of a man. And he show the same quarter to somebody else. And they say, well, I see an eagle with his arms spread out. And, and, and it's amazing how we can all see the same thing, but many times we see something different in that. I think it's the same way with the Christmas story, actually. We, we look at the Christmas story, and, and for different ones in that story, different players in the story, they have different perspectives of what Jesus coming to the earth meant. Jesus being God in the flesh, the incarnation, if you would, of God into humanity, God coming and walking 
with man in the form of a human by the form of Jesus, the Son of God. And so different players in the Christmas story have different perspectives. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the different perspectives that different ones uh, in the Christmas story had. Joseph would be one that we're going to talk about today. We'll talk about how the shepherds had a different perspective. We'll talk about the wise men and their perspective of Jesus coming to the earth and what it kind of meant to them in their lives. So we're going to talk about that, and and, uh, I think it's important to talk about why. Why is it important for me to know how Joseph viewed Jesus coming to the earth and why God, even more importantly, chose Joseph to be the one that would be the adoptive father or the foster parent, if you would, of the Son of God. What, what, what was it about Joseph that was so incredible that God said, this is the man. This is the man I'm going to choose. This is the man that will be the adoptive father of my son. Why that's important is because these different people or characters of the Christmas story, each carried with them and inside of them something that helped manifest Christ into the earth. They carried with them ingredients, uh, qualities, characteristics, if you would, that allowed them uh, to help bring about the, the introduction of Jesus into the earth. And why is that important? Because the same qualities that these individuals had in the first Christmas um, to bring about the manifestation of Christ, I believe, are the same qualities and characteristics that God is looking for in us to, what, manifest Christ in the earth. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. I like what it says in the NIV. It says, for creation waits an eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, to be man, to be made manifest. So let's ponder that for a little bit. What did Joseph possess? Uh, in order to bring about a manifestation of Christ in the earth. And what he possessed, we too need to possess. In order to talk about that, though, we probably need to step back just a little bit and talk about, let's talk about what a marriage looked like in those days and times. Because this is really where we find the introduction to this man named Joseph. Joseph was more than likely dead before Jesus's ministry ever began. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph. He's only talked about in four chapters of the Bible. He never says really anything. He's a quiet figure, if you would. However, because we know a lot about the culture of that time, we can weave together a beautiful understanding of what Joseph went through during that time where Jesus was being brought into the earth. We can start with this fact that he was from the tribe of Judah. That's an important fact because what that tells us is that he was a direct descendant of David, which means that Jesus, too, would be a direct descendant of David. What that means is that, really, legally, Joseph 
had the right to inherit the throne if that were ever to be in his cars or whoever was of his lineage. So Jesus obviously now is born, in a sense, into the family that is related to the family of David, which fulfills many psalmists and many scriptures in the Old Testament. We understand that he was probably a a rather meager man, a poor man to some degree. He was a carpenter. But when we think of a carpenter uh, in our day and time, we think pretty much a person that works with wood and things like that. And it possibly could have been that, but more than likely not, because in those days, um, Israel didn't have a lot of uh, lumber supplies and wood was hard to come by. Basically, when they built homes and facilities and buildings and things, they did it out of out of stones for the most part. And so it probably is fair to say that Joseph was a stonemason by trade. Perhaps he worked a little bit with wood, but perhaps mostly with stone, which means that Jesus, too, was more of a stonemason rather than perhaps the pictures that we see many times of Jesus in a wood shop working with his dad. Joseph was probably about somewhere between 17 to 20 years old when the story begins to unfold. From a young age, He, like all the other boys, had been trained in the synagogue, which means that he was very familiar with the scriptures and followed them explicitly. Now, marriage in those times, which is where the introduction of Jesus begins as far as Joseph's concerned, marriage in those days really had three parts to it. The first part of a marriage was the betrothal, uh, or betrothal, as some people would say. The second period would be the period of preparation. And then the third period would be the actual wedding feast itself. What is a betrothal? The betrothal would be um, when the groom would come to the bride's home and he would um, propose, in a sense, uh, to her. Now listen, this is important. Most of the young ladies that were proposed to marriage in that day and time, this this is hard to believe, were somewhere between 11 to 13 years old. Can you believe that? We have a 17-year-old and 11-year-old, or a 20-year-old perhaps and a 13-year-old at best in the story that we call the nativity scene. It's amazing. We don't really think of that. We think of an older 28, 30-year-old man and, you know, perhaps a 24, 25-year-old. And that, that's not how it played out. They were very young because they grew up very young at that time. So he comes to the house and he makes a vow with this young lady. And at that point in the betrothal, that relationship literally becomes a legal binding commitment. It is legal at that time. However, the marriage is not consummated. It would actually take a little bit longer. In fact, they would not even live together. They would make a vow. They would say, we are making an agreement. We are now married. And then guess what? The time, the second part phase of a marriage would take place and he would leave and make preparation for her to join him. Many times that took up to a year of preparation once they had been betrothed or legally become married to one another. How come it took a year? What happened in that time? Well, the man would have to go back usually to his father's house. There's a little scripture there that talks about in Thessalonians. He would go to the father's house, and he would make room for his bride to come. And 
He would have to build the house. And in addition to that, it took a whole year just for the preparations of the feast that was going to come the third part next. They would have to make all sorts of preparations. They would, of course, they didn't food. They didn't have caterers back there. They didn't have grocery stores, things like that. They had to literally grow the food for the perhaps hundreds of people that would come to this wedding feast. And so they had to grow the food. They had to make the food. They had to prepare the food. They had to make wedding garments, white garments for everyone participating in the wedding um, celebration itself. There is a lot of work to be done. And then lastly, the wedding feast would take place at, 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 as the last part of the wedding. What is that? Well, the groom would go to the home of his bride and take a large procession of friends and family with him, all carrying candles and um, uh, lamps and things like that. And usually at the evening time, at nighttime, they would go to his bride's house, and it would be just a, just a celebration. Can you imagine, you know, being Mary, and she's going, getting ready to go to sleep, going to bed, and there's a knock on the door, and her father goes to the door and opens it up, and there's, there's the groom, there's, the, there's, there's Joseph, and his 50 or 75 or 100 people, all of his friends, family, everybody's happy and singing and making noises, and they come in. Is she ready? Is she ready? And she jumps out of bed. She puts on, you know, some different clothes, and away she's whips out of the home, taken back to Joseph's father's house, and for the next seven days, all of them have a party like you wouldn't believe. They have fun, they dance, they celebrate, it's a feast, and it's there at that point where the marriage is consummated, and finally it, has, it takes place. So that all takes place. He's now married. She's uh, not married completely. They're betrothed at this point of the story. And we pick it up, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ is as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did immediately, I would say, as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife, and did not know her or did not have intimacy with her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, according to the law, we have some problems here. Mary, being betrothed to Joseph, is found to be with child. They have not consummated the marriage yet. Now, according to Jewish law, if that were to ever happen, 
the man would have two recourses, two options. One, he could, he could take her basically to the public court and charge her publicly of being guilty of, in a sense, adultery. And they would try her. And if found guilty, she would be stoned. Option two, he could divorce her privately, not speak to anybody about this, just in the marriage quietly, not make a spectacle out of her, thus preserving her life and the life of the child. Fortunately, Joseph chose option two. He put her away quietly, he said. However, an angel appears to him as he's pondering this thing. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And as he's pondering this, the angel shows up and he says, take Mary as your wife and then call him Jesus. And by doing that, by naming the child, when Joseph named the child, what he was doing was he was publicly saying, this is my child. I'm adopting this child. This child is now mine. So, why did God pick Joseph to raise his son? This is the point I wanted to bring out. Why did God pick Joseph to raise his son? Because why he picked Joseph to raise his son was the qualities that Joseph carried. And the qualities that Joseph carried are the qualities that you and I must carry in order to also present Christ into the world. Number one, we see from the scripture that he was a very humble man. He was very humble. Imagine being See, see, God had to find someone that would not gloat and be proud or haughty. Imagine, can you just imagine being told that you are going to be the parent of the Son of God? And that just blows, blows my mind. Can you imagine, if you would, Joseph um, at uh, a get-together and Uncle uh, Freddie is over there bragging about his son. How his son made a 4.0 is now got a full ride scholarship to Harvard, is a, a brainiac and is destined uh, for destiny and a great man because he's a genius. And and Joseph over there hearing this talk going on, wanting so bad to share with him about his son. Like he could have said something like, well, but he didn't because he was humble, but he could have said something like, well, that's no big deal, you know. My son, Jesus, raised a bird from the dead last week, you know, found outside, you know. And two, two weeks ago, we didn't have nothing to eat, and, and uh, we wanted to do a barbecue, and we found five loaves of two fish, and Jesus cooked up a big barbecue for the entire neighborhood. And, and then a month ago, I needed a tool, and he walked across the lake on the water and get me a tool and came back. I, I mean, who could have said some crazy things? Who, know what Je- who knows what Jesus did as a child? Perhaps he did none of those. But it, it would have been humorous, though, knowing that you were raising a perfect child and listening to other people brag about their children. No doubt Joseph had to be a very humble person. The Bible tells us, In James chapter 4, verse 10, if we will humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, you know what he'll do for you? He'll lift you up. God's looking for humility in the earth. Are you a humble person? Would you consider yourself a humble person? Let me ask you this question. Who is that one person in your life that is really hard for you to be humble with? I want to ask you to ask God. 
to help you with humility. Because every time you humble yourself before the Lord, guess what he does? He lifts you up. Do you know what that word lifts you up means? In the original language, to be lifted up means to rise to the summit of dignity, to rise to the pinnacle of honor, to rise to the height of happiness. So when you humble yourself, actually what you're doing is you're setting yourself up for happiness and for the experience of dignity and honor. So he saw in Joseph humility. Secondly, he saw in him that he was a just man. The Bible says that Joseph being found to be a just man. What does that mean? Righteous, upright, integrity, character, faultless, guiltless. In other words, he felt like God, he thought like God, and he acted like God. He was a just man. When I hear that, it tells me that he knew the scripture. It tells me that he was a holy man. It tells me that he expected his friends to live the same way and that the man had standards, that he, he had convictions, and that out of these convictions, his life flowed. He was humble and he was just, and I believe he was gracious. He was a gracious man. Are you a gracious person? Now, this is hard to understand. But I tell you, you'll find out when you're gracious. You know when you find out you're the most gracious? When you've been betrayed. That's when you find out if you're gracious or not. When you've been stabbed in the back. When someone is talking about you behind your back. When someone is trying to defame your character. When someone is trying to slander you. When someone has taken advantage of you. Taken you to the cleaners. When someone has really messed your life up royally and betrayed your trust, at that point, you have a choice. Are you going to become bitter and angry and get even, or will you become gracious? Imagine, he's betrothed to this lady. He thought he knew her. She was a pure, wonderful, young virgin woman. And then, out of the blue, he finds out that she is pregnant. And of all things, <laughs> she tells him, God did it. Really? That's the best excuse you can come up with? That God somehow has impregnated you? I, I thought I knew you. I can imagine that conversation was not a pretty one. Wherever Mary and Joseph perhaps had that conversation, or however Joseph found out, I'm sure perhaps he was furious. I'm sure he had to go take a walk. I'm sure he threw perhaps a thing or two uh, in anger. I'm sure, you know, he responded out of hurt and pain. In fact, the Bible says he pondered, what am I going to do? Am I going to choose option one? Am I going to take her to court? Or am I just going to put her away privately? I don't, I don't know, but have you ever been betrayed. Julius Caesar in 44 BC was assaulted by these assassins, a group of assassins. True story. And he, he wrestled with them and fought them off as hard as he could. And he was doing his best to, to, to fight against these assailants that were trying to kill him. And he looked up as he was wrestling with these men and he saw a man by the name of Brutus. Brutus 
was like his son. He considered him a son. He loved Brutus. He trusted Brutus with everything he had. And he looked up and he saw Brutus standing there with a dagger in his hand. And, the, and they say that Julius Caesar raised the top part of his robe up over his set, head, head and he said, you too, Brutus? I believe perhaps he raised his cloak over his head when he said, you too, Brutus, because he didn't want the killers to see his tears of betrayal that he experienced because he really didn't die physically as much as he died inside before he ever died physically. Have you ever been betrayed? Joseph, no doubt, was betrayed. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Another scripture, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing one another and forgiving one another. I'm telling you what, you have to be gracious if you're going to manifest Christ into the earth. So Joseph was gracious. He was just. He was humble. Fourthly, he was trusting. He was trusting. He knew things were going to get tough. I mean, if he chose to, to go this route and embrace Mary as, as his wife and follow through with helping her along with this pregnancy, he would be the talk of the town. His character would be challenged from that point on. He would be known as the father with a questionable background everywhere he went. He would hear people talking about him or see him in the corner when he walked into a room talking about him. He would have to go through this, endure this. But you know what? He could do that because why? Because he trusted God. He trusted the word of God that this was what God wanted. And because of that, he knew he could go through what he had to go through. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Are you a trusting person in God? If you are, guess what? God's going to manifest and is manifesting his Christ-likeness through your life. Number five, he was willing. Sometimes you're not happy about what God's asking you to do, are you? You really, I mean, really not. You're not like, I, God, I don't want to do this. I mean, God, I, I sense this is where you're kind of taking me, but I do not really want to do this. Joseph had a beautiful wedding plan, like every young 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old had in that day and time. It was the pinnacle of your life. Everything really evolved around when you got married. Everybody celebrated. It was a witness of your character, and everyone partook of your joy. He, but now, if he went this route of trusting God with this crazy idea that God had impregnated Mary, guess what he would have to do? He would have to forego this, this wedding that he had been expecting and longing for for years. That's exactly what happens when you trust in the Lord. Sometimes you have to be willing to do things that you did not really have planned ahead of time. Now his expectations are dashed and God would not let him have what everyone else had. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 119, if you're willing and you're obedient, you know what you're going to do? You're going to eat. 
from the fruit of the land. Sometimes you just got to go through with it. You just got to be willing. You got to trust, be humble, gracious, and God's going to help you make it through. Number six, what we found about him was he was responsible. He took responsibility. Um, I'm a part of a small group of, uh, with some other guys, and uh, we're going through this thing called the 33 series, and we'll be offering it again and next uh, spring and encourage some of you men to get involved in that. And One of the things that we do in this, this small group with guys is we define what a, a real man is, four definitions. A real man rejects passivity. He accepts responsibility. He begins to lead courageously, and he invests eternally. And this is what Joseph decided to do. He said, I'm going to take responsibility, and I will let this child become my child. I'm going to be the foster parent. I'm going to take ownership of this situation. I may not like the situation, but I'm going to take ownership of this situation. Let me talk to the men for just a second. Do you take ownership of your situation. Let me talk to all of you for just a moment. Do you take ownership for the situation you're in? Can I just challenge you? Quit blaming other people. Can I just tell you, quit trying to, to, to get out of your commitment. Can I, can I challenge you? Just make it work. Just put your head down and make this thing work. It may be uncomfortable. There may be a lot of work involved in the process, but I'm telling you, if, if God's in this thing, what is impossible with man will be possible with God. You can make this thing work. I was talking to a, 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 a man recently, and he was telling me about he and his wife are having some marital problems. They go to a counselor. And after a series of counseling sessions, the, the lady says, the counselor says to him, says, have you, both of you, perhaps considered divorce? And they thought, they went away and they said, what? Divorce? This Christian counselor is encouraging us to get a divorce? And that so sparked them to say, you know what? No, we're not going to do that. We're going to fight for our marriage. And he says, I'm so glad I did because we have one of the greatest marriages I could have ever imagined now, this side of that, do you fight? Do you take responsibility and you get in there and make it happen? And lastly, we'll be done. The last ingredient Joseph I see he had that we need to manifest Christ in the earth was this. This is powerful. This is powerful. He was a protector. He was a protector of the seed, the precious little seed of life, eternal life that God had planted into the earth. Let me tell you something. God had to find a man that was intent on making sure that this little child grew up to become and carry the mantle of the Messiah into the earth. Once Joseph bought in to the call of God upon his life that he was to preserve this little seed, guess what he did? He said, I'm in, I'm in, and no one's going to touch this little boy. In fact, the moment Jesus was born, he had a bullseye on his back. In fact, it was the king himself who was coming after this little child. The little child was barely out of the womb, and Joseph gets another dream. Get up, quickly, flee to Egypt, because this little child's got a bullseye on his back, and the enemy is here to destroy his life. If you are a follower of Christ, if you are a, a, a believer in the Lord, if you are a 
Christian, then you understand that God has planted a seed deep inside of your heart, in your womb, and you have to protect that seed. You have to guard that seed with everything you have because the enemy wants to come and snuff it away from you. Are you a protector? Are you gracious? Are you humble? Are you just? Do you take responsibility? Are you willing to take what God has given you and are you willing to protect it, to grow it, and to watch it come to life and manifest Christ into the earth? I think you are. I know you are. You wouldn't be watching today if you weren't. I want to end with a word of prayer for you. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. First of all, if you've never met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. We encourage you to contact us at summitchurch.tv. We'd love to have a conversation with you. I want to pray with everybody else watching with me this morning. I want to challenge you in the same way that God challenged Joseph to guard and to keep and to walk with God has put inside of you. Would you mind bowing your head for just a moment and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, today, I thank you for every single person watching online. And Lord, they didn't just like click on randomly. Lord, I believe that they, they clicked on at this very moment for a very reason, and it's a good reason that you wanted them to hear that they are called, I am called, to manifest the Messiah, the Christ, into the earth. That, that it's my opportunity and privilege and honor to have such a great seed of life planted inside of me. And now I get to manifest that seed everywhere I go. And so, Lord, we take upon ourselves, Lord, the mantle of responsibility, the, the mantle of being a protector, to be just, to be humble, to be gracious, Lord, to take responsibility. Father, we take this upon ourselves, and we thank you, Lord, that you are helping us, Lord, show the world about the Christ that is in us. Oh, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We thank you, Lord God, for helping us do the very thing you asked Joseph to do in his time. We bless you, and we give you all of our praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you, church. So glad to have you with us today. Hey, listen, don't forget, hopefully you can mark this on your calendar. We're going to have a New Year's Eve, all churches combined together, celebration at the Alabama Music Hall. It's going to be something that this community has never seen. We're going to worship we're going to pray. We're going to take communion together. It's going to be a wonderful time as we bring in 2021. You don't want to miss it. We hope to see you there. God bless you. Have a great week. See you soon.